welcome to episode 281 of Fintech Insider. We are coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork Devonshire Square. My name, well, my name's Simon Taylor and I'm going to be your host for today, but I'm joined by lots of colleagues and co-hosts. Uh, we have Mr. David Breer, Mr. David Beardless. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, still kind of weirded out, I have to say. Like, every time I get in a lift or see a mirror, the fact that I don't have my sort of uh, my sort of trademark beard is kind of freaking me out, to be honest, yeah, so. The beard is no more. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's I've, long I've gone. Bre- bread? No, I can't make bread that work, can zit, I? Zit. Yeah, no, yeah. it's too hard. It's you, too hard. I respect you for trying. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Jason Bates. Hello, sir. How you doing? I'm very well. Good. And Mr. Ross Gurr. Hey. Are you feeling festive? Feeling festive and nostalgic. This is our last show of 2018. Festive and nostalgic. Uh, the lights are extra twinkly. There's cake around. There's it's a tear good. in your eye. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, just that, that ethereal haze. <laughs> that ethereal haze. And, that sounds uh, like a really good like breakout album name. Doesn't it? It really <laughs> yeah, does. Yeah. It? I'm not going to say what I thought it sounded like. Uh, <laughs> Alrighty. Does anybody want to know the answer to that? I do, yeah. I, yeah, a, a burning desire. It sounds like something you'd buy in a coffee shop in Amsterdam. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. It does. Uh, so this, for this very special show, as Ross said, we're, we're going back through everything that happened in 2018. Um, so let's just get started, shall we? Um, first one, big thing that happened in 2018. Number one, we got some more fintech unicorns. Uh, in 2018, Revolut, Monzo, TransferWise, and Robinhood all became fintech unicorns after reaching a valuation of more than a billion dollars. What does that mean? What does it all mean, Basil? The, our babies are growing up, aren't they, into beautiful unicorns. It's, it's wonderful. Like, it feels like the industry is basically growing up, right? They're reaching the point where they're actually having serious uh, impact on the industry and gaining enough customers that actually VCs and everybody's sort of really getting behind it. So, yeah, it feel, feels like this is just the industry getting bigger and bigger. Is valuation a vanity metric still, or does this mean something for customers as well? Because this is ba- sometimes it's backed up with customer numbers. Yeah, I, th- I think it depends on the startup, right? There's a few of them in there that I think it might be vanity-wise, particularly for the you know the the founders who are sort of shouting about it a little bit more than they are the customer numbers, as you say. Yeah. Um, but not in all of these cases, you know. And I think in a lot of them, they're actually finding proper business models now. Which uh, you know, I know it's weird to be like congratulating businesses for having business models, but for <laughs> a, you know, it feels like the the thing that we should be uh, we should be sort of realizing is people are actually starting to make money, which is I'm good. Not, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, Revolut's not making money. Mon- is not making money. Robinhood's not making money. Transferwise, I think, is profitable. So, uh, so if anything, this says actually the market thinks that the players that get to scale are going to be worth a lot in the future, mm-hmm. even though that very you know few of them are turning profit at the moment. Which Robin, says Robinhood are though, aren't they? Aren't Robinhood making money? I don't know. I've got to look that up. But what that says to me actually is that the story isn't over. The fact they've reached this valuation isn't the end of them scaling. It's the beginning. And it's it's kind of an interesting point in time because it's like, oh shit, we've got to pay attention now. Um, it's not that nice little Series A company that raised five million that's really cute um, that we could squash like a bug. This is These are meaty organizations that have got many millions of customers. And these companies are launching products propositions that are resonating with customers now en masse. They're, they're hitting scale. Um, yes, they're still running off the fumes of VC funding. Um, and whether we see a push in the next year, 2019, towards more intensive um, profitability remains to be seen. But so um, If I'm in a strategy team at a bank, should I just give it all up and start whoring out my CV? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, why not? But uh, I, I guess it's um, it like for us, uh, everybody sort of on the street and people here like unicorn and a billion, it's, a, it's kind of a big deal until you start looking the fact that 
like HSBC made 54 billion last year. So, you know, they've got a long way to go until we're talking about <coughs> Goliaths and Goliaths. But, you know, David's kind of getting his shit together, which is good. Yeah, he is. And he has no beard. There's no <laughs> limit to this guy's power. <laughs> when I thought shaving hair off actually reduced his power. I, know, so. yeah. I really did think it was the source of all your power. I like, genuinely were worried about that. Like, let's, let, it's only been a few days, guys. Let's see how this goes in 2019. All righty. Uh, let's go to the next one. IPOs and not so IPOs, fintech investment. So aside from the unicorns, we saw some IPOs. Um, we saw Adyen came out with an $8.6 billion valuation. Um, funding circle, not so well, though. They didn't do quite as well. They floated at $1.5 billion, but end of day, they dropped to $1.25. So the IPO market for fintech seems to be up and down. Yeah, it's an interesting one. There's no sort of consistent picture. I think... Um Adyen, as you said, IPO'd at a value of $8.6 billion. First day of trading, that closed up 90%. Um, and is kind of, the, you know, the, shortly after that, they announced um, higher than ever profits. So it's just continued to climb. Um, funding circle, not as, uh, as successful. iZettle, of course, came very close to IPOing um, and ultimately pulled out in favor of being acquired by PayPal. So no clear exit picture and i know and in favor of being acquired by paypal but now is being looked at by the competition authority so that might not happen too it's like how to bungle getting uh capital into your organization 101 um which is a shame because uh they seem to have done reasonably well and if you look at the u.s market square has actually done really well since their ipo despite initially having more than halved in value so maybe we shouldn't read too much into kind of the one day moves and step back and look at where these things are in three and five years which kind of comes back to the theme from the first point really is like this isn't the end of the journey there's a long way to go and medium-term markets are efficient, right? I mean, and, and Square's a great example of a company that has kind of gone from strength to strength, like you said, off the back of um, maybe a disappointing time. You know, continued to launch it, roll out products. Um, they've, launched, they've moved now into the, the, the point-of-sale lending space. They're looking now at um, going again for their banking license. So, yeah, exciting times. There's also a question of... Uh, of- of whether the IPO is the the end game now, because especially especially with SoftBank's hundred billion vision fund, you know it, it got to a point I think with VC where you'd been through your A round, B round, C round, D round. You know you wanted your couple of hundred million. Actually, the only way of doing of really getting to that money was was going to the markets and IPOing. But that's not the case anymore. You know, people are raising just crazy amounts of money on massive valuations that ultimately the market is likely to to overturn if they ever do IPO. Because we've seen that happen a few times where suddenly, you know, uh, companies with massive valuations, startups, you know, suddenly IPO and drop. So, um, so it, I think it's interesting as to as to how far VC and and the big fund and sovereign wealth now want to get into these things separate from that that main market. It does give you a different option. So WeLab um, on the eighth of November last year uh, raised something like two hundred twenty million dollars in Series B equity and <laughs> debt. I mean, it's just a different scale, isn't it? And it's equity and debt. You're seeing. I mean, if you look at what's happening with Uber, if you look at what's happening with WeWork, the mega company has a longer shelf life of being private than ever before and do they have to go public or do they stay privately held and hit profit or do they just like they're these monsters that just keep on growing you're talking about decacorns there yeah yeah like airbnb uber pinterest 
you know, Adian, the, none of those are. You know, Adian, yeah, Adian right now have a valuation above 15 billion. I think their IPO this year was second only to Spotify. I mean, what does that say about the legitim- le- legitimization of fintech? But, uh, well, and, and many of those ones that you've just sort of said about on that list are so precariously placed. You know, they are, like you say, uh, you know, multi-multi-billion companies, but actually, like Uber and Airbnb and these guys are, you know, seen as like a shining light for for kind of startups type thing. But most of them seem to be a bit of a house of cards when it comes to their business model, doesn't it? Indeed. Oh well, um, maybe they'll get caught by the regulator. Maybe. Maybe they'll get caught by them. There's been a lot of regulation in the past year. Uh, we've had various oh, open banking things. We've I, had I see what you did there. You're moving on to point three. It was like a, a, a seamless segue. Yeah. I, did, I didn't even, I didn't even realise we were here. I didn't know. <laughs> he threw it up. We did not catch it. I know. You all. left me all I'm alone sorry. on the alley-oop. I'm feeling, I'm feeling hurt, but not annoyed because I got you, David. Uh, <laughs> Uh, launched almost exactly a year ago on the 13th of January. PSD2 has not exactly been an, open, an overnight success. Um, in the, it's been kind of a, a UK-centric story, has um, the PSD2 and the open banking. But as we saw in the US, Pled have now what, uh, been valued at nearly $2 billion, And they've got a very different route to market. And you've kind of got these two stories of open banking playing out, the European regulation-heavy story and the US competition and startup investment story. That, that kind of goes in a different direction. So, you know, which one of these is going to play out and how much of regulation has really changed the lives of consumers and changed the lives of banking? Or has this been another year of, oh, just another regulation goes on to the mandatory regulatory backlog? Like non-nothing and mainly annoyances. Like this time last year, we were all getting quite excited about, ooh, open banking. Because it literally came in top of the year, didn't it? So yeah. it's January something. Um, so yeah, December last year, we were all like, ooh, what are people going to do? and it turns out nothing it was um, it was the ultimate like Oh, yeah. Wah, and wah, wah. So open banking, I think, has been super, super disappointing that nobody's really sort of grabbed the ball by the horns and done something with it. GDPR was just an annoyance, like uh, for about eight weeks of basically figuring out whether I accepted some random terms and conditions of a thousand people who sent me something to my Gmail account. But, but with open banking, I mean, it was halfway into the year or even even beyond before, every, you know, the big CMA9 actually had their shit together yeah. you know that they, they had the APIs in place mm. so it got to a point where it wasn't a global universal solution it didn't all work in the same way there was lots still to work out and it lacked killer use cases that people were sort of shying away from doing because everyone was still working out how all of this mm. thing worked but, so I don't think I ever expected it to explode in January you know January tw- 2018 but it's one of those things that you know as as we talk to clients about new propositions and ideas the ability to to build banking data in from other accounts uh, is there it's just not the major thing yeah. it, it's it's a facilitator it's part but, of the jigsaw but how many you know how many clients have we talked to where it's like yeah we're going to use open banking to get that source of data like and we're like yeah we're like yeah, we're, they they always say like uh, to aggregate all the accounts together because customers will want to log on to our mobile app in order to be able to see all their other accounts and you're like great because that's what everyone else is saying yeah, I think we need to tell Liad about that one. That's definitely going to be a there's, there's a comic yeah. coming to yeah. some to a Twitter feed near you soon of like, I know, let's aggregate all of the accounts together so that you can aggregate your aggregated accounts and it'll be like a, a, an account aggregation pyramid and you'll be able to see the aggregated, aggregated, aggregated accounts. You won't even know which one's yours anymore. But, and I think that's the 
the first stage. I mean, the the most common conversation that I've had with with big bank clients this year has been around trying to change their view of APIs mm-hmm. as enabling end to end journeys rather than letting the other see letting me see other banks' data and bringing that in one place. That's the like level zero point zero one. It's yeah. like we can bring all the data together, but the fact that we've you know, we've got uh, lots of businesses out there in the non-banking world that are using APIs cleverly. Like I think on a previous podcast, we spoke about Uber, the fact that it's just such a great API-based business. You've got uh, a, an app that uses uh, APIs to a phone that, that, that Uber don't own. Uh, they use... Uh, Google GPS, you know, Google Maps in order to show where you are. They use Braintree in order to make the payments. Uh, They use internal Uber APIs to move cars around. Connecting all of those APIs together give you these really seamless journeys. And we've just not seen that in banking yet. People aren't, aren't... creating those seamless journeys they're still thinking about how to aggregate all that data together yeah well, they're doing what they've heard everybody else do because there are herd there's a herd mentality going on and i think this is that means there's so much opportunity it's almost like it's only one percent finished almost but by the regulator you know forcing especially incumbents to open up those back ends and like it creates that level playing field that Breeds innovation, right? Simon. You said open their back end. I really did. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> so I apologize. I don't know if this is even going to be in the blooper reel or if, it, like, if this is going to just let's go with it. Straight in the show. I, like, I, I just want that as a clip. Like, <laughs> I'd like yeah. that as my text tone. <laughs> <laughs> but, but GDPR. I think it's a different kettle of fish. The number of sort of consumers who have really jumped by the way, to, uh, kettle of fish is a really interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> it is. That's a really, really interesting one. So um, I don't know if I can explain kettle of fish. To be honest, I know what it means. I just don't know why. Right. We'll leave that for the uh, for the <laughs> listeners to uh, to work out. I've no real. idea. Definition in the show. It's notes. A different kettle of fish. Um, I mean, I had, uh, I've got a friend who runs uh, some dinners for, uh, for wealth clients to come Ooh. along and, uh, and learn about his services and all this kind of stuff. So he invited some people along to this, like, Michelin-style restaurant, all this stuff. Sends them a note afterwards to say, uh, you know, thanks, and I'm just following up on whatever. One of them was like, this is not GDPR compliant. Uh, it's like, wow, suddenly consumers are given this whole new, th- new thing. Sort and of. I am... I, big, big advocate of GDPR. I mean, the number of uh, large companies that are just taking the piss with, when, with yeah. regards to data and the abuses of it and actually, you know, make, giving them some responsibility. But I have seen a few abuses of it as well. Uh, well, that's the thing. The intent of GDPR is absolutely spot on with what the economy and the world needs right now is empowerment of the individual to take control of their data. The implementation is horrifically bad. All it has become is a contract annoyance that makes doing life slightly harder than it was before for no good reason. And some, you know that person who always goes, ah, I've got a point. What about GDPR? (laughs) It's just given that person another thing to say. It's like, no, get out of the way, you idiot. We're trying to solve a problem here. Um, But anyways, we've we've done uh, a couple of shows on this sort of stuff. Um, I feel like we've we've come down negatively on GDPR, which like I'm sure there's just this tiny percentage that abuse it, and 98 percent of the time it's a great thing. But even great so. in principle, but, but I've not seen it great in practice. But it was yeah. just an annoyance. Like this was over summer, wasn't it? It was just like uh, so many emails, ten thousand emails yeah. Yeah. to say I sign up again. I just didn't care. Like I think it actually coincided with me just stopping using my Gmail account. So I'm like. 
I don't understand how I'm still getting emails given I <laughs> didn't accept anybody's thing. You know? all, all I've seen off the back of it is that at least now we know that hackers have our data. Some, <laughs> sometimes. There's also that thing where you used to go to a website and it says this website uses cookies. Now you also get another pop-up that says also you have to accept that we can track you. And it's like, and you can't view the website unless yeah. you accept yeah. everything. Exactly. So it's like, what? Is that what that says? Because I just click OK. Yeah. No, then, <laughs> oh, you then what you can do <laughs> is you can go in and individually opt out of certain advertisers if you so wish, but doing so is so excruciatingly painful that you will never, ever do it. So, again, well-intended, um, but not successful. Um, if you want to know more about open banking, we did an insight show on episode 274, um, and there's a whole bunch of episodes around dirty data that we did that you should go back and look into. All right, next story. Um Big banks make little banks. This one, great title there. I'm guessing that's David. That has you written all over it. Ickle. That's nice. Uh, no, it's, uh, well, general sort of trend of this year really is it's kind of like the big banks getting their shit together, which is great. And actually being in a situation where they really sort of understand what it is that's going to be able to sort of move them forwards. I, I, I know we've sort of talked about this in various different guises, but we've we've basically seen, you know, big incumbent organizations trying to basically immortalize themselves in, uh, you know, encase them in self and stone. And, you know, one of, what are those oxygen chambers called? And, you know, slowly sort of Cryogenic. replacing. Yeah, <laughs> freezing and all these types of weird <laughs> shit that they do. But, you know, the idea of basically trying to immortalize yourselves and continue the thing that's existed for 300 years rather than giving birth to the next generation of stuff. Yes. Um, I kind of feel like they've probably just accepted defeat and actually gone, do you know what? The thing that we really need to, to create is the next generation. Uh, and actually by doing that, they're creating not only the technological advancements that they need to to really sort of compete in this market, but establishing the cultures of smaller organizations that allows them to really push back on the big players. Uh, the big fintech players. But I think it was the year, uh, like to build on that, that banks discovered that digital isn't just a veneer or a little app, but actually a different operating model yeah. with different levels of costs, with different ability to give services. And actually, this isn't about uh, adding a new channel on the side and calling them digital and giving them an innovation budget. It's actually a different way of doing business. Mm. And when you look at those, you know, the new players who are out, out there, there's no way that you can replicate uh, the processes, the tech, the culture, the speed, all of those things simultaneously within a massive organization. So, you know, we've all around the table had countless conversations with big banks that publicly have said, we're going to spend a billion on digital transformation. We're going to spend two billion next year. Now we're going to spend another billion. And it's got to the point in 2018, I think, where they've said, actually, let's stop spending all these billions and let's start understanding that if we're going to create something with a new operating model, a truly digital business, then that thing needs to be have some level of separation. And let's let's give it a different brand. And I think that's the thing to build on both of those points. Uh, it's you were sort of going there with the having children thing um, rather than starting to get the older thing to, to go faster. But I, I still come across it occasionally where it's like, no, we need to brigade the entire organization and get them to all move like a startup. And it's like, one, you probably don't want that. That's not what you don't want people moving fast and breaking things with your millions of customers. But actually, a child falls over a lot. You know, like if you think about the metaphor of that that really makes sense because they're learning really quickly so instead of trying to make the 76 year old win a marathon by spending billions in the, in the olympics why don't we think about let's have the children and train them and teach them to become something big
big as mm. they grow older. And I think that's the key metaphor for me is like stop trying to make the 76-year-old win that well, marathon. I think for me it's, again, to that well-known refrain, it's the move from commodity products to mm-hmm. intelligent services. And the intelligent services business and the operating model is very different from the the manufacture and distribution of traditional financial products. It's different, yeah. And knowing that that's a different business... Uh, means that you have to create a different business. And, and doing that within a, a massive organization of 40,000 people that's a vital utility to millions of others in a heavily regulated industry is just crazy if you think you're going to, you're going to make that transition uh, you know, w- while the thing's running. It's, it's incredibly difficult. Terry Wogan of FinTech, what do you think about this? I, loved, I honestly loved your metaphor. Like, take the 76-year-old, spend a load of money on... I don't even know what it would be, bionic something or other, yeah. to get him to win the it marathon would, it at would the Olympics. would be a rascal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a really fast rascal. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I'm liking your word choices today, David. Rascal, lickle, ickle. But we've seen some successes in this space from the big banks, right? I mean, Marcus, Yolt are two very good examples. Denizen. Denizen, uh, Aslo. But, but what, um, what, do you, what do you think has actually got them to this point, though? I know, we, you know we've had various different common conversations, but we've been saying this for a couple of years now, but it feels like people are kind of getting it this year and, you know, based on the sort of inbound and various different things, like, this isn't a trend that's kind of going away. So what happened at the board? Like, there was somebody like, hang on, we spent billions last year. We're going to spend billions again? Like, I, was I, it a... You know what I think it was? Fool me once. I think it was the, the tsunami of regulation has finally slowed down and people are starting to think about growth. And mm. that means they had the thinking space to think about growth in a different way. The ironic thing is, though, then going to issue an RFP to figure out how to build a startup just feels wrong to me. Like, do you, do you know many startups that started by responding to an RFP? Like, there's just, there's still some behave, buying behaviors that I think are pretty interesting and culturally that that I think we need to overcome. I think it was the the fact that suddenly you saw some fintechs, Revolut, Monzo, it's others, visible. suddenly be- got uh, a million customers, mm-hmm. two million customers. And and where that that there was always that questionable hypothesis before of great, someone's got a new app-based bank, but really like get a current account customers £150 or something in customer acquisition costs. Are these are these boys really gonna get anyone to switch? Because switching rates are, ma- are historically low. Like no one switches their bank account. So the, these guys are never gonna work. So I, I in my you know, in my little head, I've got this uh, vision of the investment board where someone's standing up to say, Great, we're going to launch a new thing. Thing, uh, or we're going to replace our core banking system and, and do intelligence That's services. Trigger word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can see the, uh, the board sort of going through their questions, like, is it going to be expensive? Yeah, really expensive. Is it going to be risky? Well, yes, it could take the whole bank down. Right. Is it going to make us a lot of money really quickly? Well, not really, because that's not what we're really into. Okay. And has anyone done this sort of outside? Can you point to any successes? Well, no, not at the moment, but they're going to happen. Right. Why don't you come back and see us next year and we'll see how we get on there. And I think this year they came back and, or maybe even the board turned around and said, hey, my, my niece is, user, is raving about this little pink card. Why aren't we doing something about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the guy who was there with the investment case is like, I've been telling you about this for years. Do you, you know? know how many times I've heard anecdotes from really senior bankers who go, "My kid has an iPhone now. All the kids have it. We need an app." And I think you're exactly right. My kid has one of these pink cards now. My kid has one of these Revolut cards. My kid has a free trade account, Robinhood account, Chime account, Venmo. Wherever you are in the world, that I think is is an, a stunningly astute observation. As is the fact that it's time for an ad break. 
I wonder if a robot will be driving us to work in the future. They say robots could become more intelligent than humans, which can only be a good thing, right? Stephen Hawking said the rise of robots could be disastrous for mankind. Well, I'm looking forward to robots doing the hard parts of my job. If they're smarter than you, they might kick you out of your job. Artificial intelligence. Innovation or invasion. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash subscribe today. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Slam, that was like a hardcore ad break. I'm, I'm sorry I just threw you right in there. David felt felt hard done to a little bit. Well, I just think about them. It like whiplash straight into the ads. <laughs> I just, I'm just going to dunk you right in ads in this one. You've got to be ready for it. You did hear the Terry Wogan of FinTech saying, imagine. <laughs> do it for us. Do the imagine. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> tingles. Oh, the, the spine tingles. All right, the next story is about, well, it's Asia Pacific. Um, there's a lot going on in that space. As always, huge, huge year for the region. Uh, the thing that caught my eye, of course, is, Yes, uh, WePay had its largest red letter day ever, um, but we've seen other things around the fringes as well. Um, what stands out to you, Jason? Uh, I thought that the amount of investment going on in China is crazy. I mean, we've got a few unicorns, but they are growing just crazy. I mean, I, I found a, an article that's talking about the fintech investment is China is is up almost tenfold already compared to last year, with more than 37 billion raised by fintech companies between 2014 and the first half of 2018 across uh, 309 Jeez. transactions. China generally just skews like the average on everything that happens in any of these spaces, doesn't it? So being in a, being in a situation where they're raising so much money and doing so much things, then you sort of feel like they they're always that outlier. It you feels need to, unfair, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, take them out of the data set so they don't spoil it for everybody I, else. I feel like they should have done that with Usain Bolt and the Olympics, right? A lot of Olympics metaphors today, but you know, it's just like you're an outlier. Like it's weird because I'm literally looking at Usain Bolt's restaurant right now. So like that's like a weird head fuck you just did for me, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad fucking <laughs> How did I not notice that? I know, it's we're, right there. I feel like we've gone all potty mouth this episode, by the way. I feel oh, like no. I might have started it off earlier. <laughs> I, I apologise, listeners, especially if you're listening in the car and the children are there. Oh, hey, yeah. kids, sorry about that. Nasty man on the radio is, is really nice. Mummy loves fintech. <laughs> <laughs> Bob McLean loves fintech. Shout out, Bob. Um, what about uh, other parts of Southeast Asia, though? I mean, obviously, China continues to be the story of our age, but if we put that outlier aside for a second mm. anywhere else stand out well so I, I think the the stories that we were sort of covering a little bit earlier on around the the sort of regulatory climate over there as well so actually being in a situation where we're seeing both hkma and maz uh, on the regulatory front really starting to sort of step the game up you know we've seen the virtual licenses that are being issued in uh, in hong kong we're seeing maz really sort of drag racing against everybody on the planet in terms of doing the most innovative things from a regulatory perspective so you know i i don't 
don't think it's just um, very, very large investments. It's actually similar story to what we've sort of seen in the UK, where very fruitful grounds are being uh, created through the regulator really allowing it to happen and not strangling it before it's ready to go. And I think this is an interesting contrast to open banking GDPR, that really well-targeted, like, opening up of regulation, that's not lowering the barrier, but mm. that's saying, here's this other thing for this type of thing, here's this other route to get to the same point. The scrutiny at the end point is the same. Well, and, and very much optically, if you look at the difference between what's happening with HKMA and what's happening with MAS, and if you flip over to the US, actually, the you know we're not seeing that level of change there, definitely from a state-to-state perspective in terms of the regulatory system, to really allow fintech to flourish in the same way. The, and it, it didn't take a lot. I mean, I've spent a what, a couple of months now out in Hong Kong working with our friend Standard Chartered. Uh, and, uh, and the HKMA virtual banking license uh, opportunities were, were nothing different than their standard banking license opportunity, I mean, the, or the, the approach. It wasn't that they'd come up with a whole new framework. It was just the intent that actually we're going to let some new players into the market. And they had only f- over, I think, 50, ap- 50 people come forward in order to make applications. All kinds of things like Chinese fintechs, some of the big banks in, in Hong Kong, um, uh, different collaborations of retail players and, uh, you know, existing uh, sort of uh, industrial players. I think that point about optics is so huge. Uh, I mean, if you go back to what happened with the uh, Bank of England and the FCA and PRA a number of years ago, same thing, like this statement of intent. If you ask anyone that's been through it, I think you might know somebody, um, that wasn't easy. And it's, it's as hard as it's ever been. It's just the intent of come talk to you, come talk to us. We intend for this to be an option for you. We would like more of this type of company in the market, but we're not going to make it easy. It's still going to be extremely hard. Uh, which is where the PRA and the FCA, I think, have led the way with their secondary objective, you know, beyond protecting the fidelity of the UK financial system. They're also now encouraging competition, you know, have their secondary objective because markets that have competition tend to do better for that end customer. Absolutely. And so I think seeing that both in Hong Kong, suddenly it's opened up and suddenly the you know some a place where many of the big banks make a lot of money from that that population are now being opened up for you know for new players. And of course in Australia my uh, my friends over at Zinja uh, have re- have just got their banking license. So again they're you know they're starting the whole Australian thing. It's starting to happen. There's another bank called the 86400 as well which still is goes that like down. a sci-fi series i'm sure i've heard there was the sure 4400 and actually it wasn't bad <laughs> uh, i'm not gonna lie it was a reasonable tv show but a terrible name for a bank i'm sorry um anthony thompson is like a, a serial entrepreneur who's launched many many banks and i'm sure this one will go on to do as well as all of the previous efforts but terrible name but it's about helping you make the most of every second of every day yeah, I get the meaning. Yeah. Just I quite like the meaning. Yeah, but try and fucking Google it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. The end. Move on. In comes Bria with savagery. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, and again, sorry, kiddies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The mean man was drinking beer. He didn't mean it. But speaking of market competition, I mean, to Jason's point, we've seen that play out in a number of ways. Yes, we've seen it play out in different geographies like Hong Kong and Australia. But in the UK now, I think you're seeing the next logical step in that a challenger bank launches a feature and now the big banks all want to have that feature too. But so, the, but the regulatory point here is still quite important because um, when you look at HKMA, I think they've been so open at looking outwards. I think they regard the FCA in particular as the sort of gold standard and they've been really open to, 
you know, just sort of fostering that competition, fintech bridges, sandboxes, all that sort of stuff. And it's now starting to pay off. Yes, Sydney at the moment, it's it's sort of starting. It's starting from a very low base, 86,400, Zinja. Actually, apart from that, there's not a huge amount happening. But the first ones aren't the last ones usually. I suspect no, of you'll see more. And the interesting thing about fintech bridges is people, you've now got a global regulatory community that's looking to learn from each other and that is communicating what works and what's good for the consumer. And I think that's the... I, I think like on that though, it's it's like the HKMA one. Like if in the first round for the FCA on the you know the, the lowering of the, the guard, we had one of the biggest banks on the planet applying for a banking license, we would have probably been quite surprised. You know, the yeah. first on every list for the virtual banking licenses is Standard Charter. Like, this is a massive organization trying to dramatically do something different in the way that we were sort of describing before. That's a really interesting sea change. Be- because we're now at that space where we've got Marcus and Yolt and yeah. all of those guys. And so banks now open to mm. this. And, and now with a new virtual banking license, being able to spawn a new digital bank. It's funny because we've got like the UK from four or five years ago with today of all of the new players actually starting new things off. Well, and and the difference between that as well, you know, if you look at what we did with Metal, we didn't publish or shout about it until we were actually live, whereas Standard Charter from like about 14 seconds after it was happening, then, you know, everybody was sort of promoting and moving that forwards because it's it's the sign of such a significant change within that organization that it's it's there you know i think it's a it's a very a very different feeling you but know? you're seeing that double header right so you're seeing they're launching new uh, brands, but also the main brand is doing a lot of copycat stuff. So you, yes, you see this is the next theme. By the way, I'm segueing as seamlessly. <laughs> did, did you notice? That? I may have even tried to do it a couple of times. Nice. Um, the so Monzo and Starling released gambling block functionality. Yeah. The big banks launch it. Yeah. The, the uh, challenger banks have a map of your location of your transactions. The big banks now have that. They allow you to freeze your card. The big banks now have that. Will we see more of this copycat thing going forward? Do you think that's a major trend? Yeah, and it's not terrible. Yeah, I'd like I, I I worry about this if I'm honest with you, because actually I think it's it's kind of all well and good kind of replicating the functionality, but if it costs one person twenty thousand pounds to do it and it costs you a year to copy them and fifteen million pounds, and then you probably don't hundred percent understand why you're doing it, you're just doing it anyway. I'm not sure it's setting the right precedent and you're definitely not going to start recruiting the best type of talent by basically just going, you know, copy what everybody else is doing. But but is it a bad thing to do both, right? If on if in the mothership you are copying just to kind of keep up with the market, at least it's better than what sure. was before and then you do the other thing. Mm. Yeah. But I think there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes in order to to uh increase those release cycles we know, i know you know nationwide barclays like a variety of banks have really have been almost quiet with releasing all of these things because they put so much effort into retooling so that they can make you know three releases a, a week or something where before it was going to be well the, the graphs of it it would take you know forever for a bank to go through all of that so i think that the but, but I, I think that the the whole competition uh, remit of the FCA PRA has really like started to has has kickstarted the market. It's but, worked, but also it's more expensive now for banks to just keep doing the same old thing. 
I think right. so. And, and it's riskier to not do anything, and it's riskier to try and do a big bang change than it ever was, um, which moves us on to the next point, which was big bang migrations. Sorry, yeah. you are on fire, man. <laughs> this is incredible. Have you, have you got somewhere to be? <laughs> <laughs> but but just, to, just to go back slightly, we're going to come back again. But, but like, like, if, um, like I, can hear, I can hear Simon Vanskalina like laughing hysterically at that point because it's like three <laughs> releases a, like a week or oh, that's cute you know like yeah. you know when you're in a, an organization who has you know real sort of engineering uh, operational capability and you're releasing like a hundred times a week and doing the, everything that you can to make every change that you're doing as small as it possibly can meaning it's you know doesn't have the significance of the impact and it's not uh, completely service destroying if there's a problem then three releases a week just seems kind of lame you know well, like, especially when the new competitors are gaining customers so quickly and they're releasing at a hundred times a week and they're also doing it with a different customer brand, different way of customer communicating, and they've got a grasp of their data because their core systems are different. Yeah, but, but, it's, but it's like saying, it's like, well, well, yeah, you know, I know you're not, you know, you're not an Olympic runner, but like your time's quite good. You know, like it's like, actually, this is not like an everybody gets a medal. Yeah, no, there's no, no prize for participation. Exactly. So this I just wanted to pick up on the point, side that you made about attracting talent. Uh, if you actually think about it, yes, all right, talent wants to go to, fast-moving startups where they're empowered and they can actually like affect change but also if you think from a customer base perspective what had the most amount of reach and affected the most amount of change monzo introducing the gambling block or barclays introducing the gambling block and actually from a scale perspective barclays affected change and touch more people's lives with that it's true it is true I, i think there is also a new a new table stakes arising it's like, what does a standard account have to do? And it always used to be, I mean, we know this, you know, you'd go to a big bank and they go, well, what's everyone else doing? You know, Ross, you know, yeah. this, doing the research side. Absolutely. Like, Benchmark me against the competition. Yeah. And it was like, away you go. And now suddenly there's new competition and suddenly the benchmark of, well, you're 98% of what the market does or 102%. It's suddenly actually you're 67%. Yeah. That's actually a, a, a big driver, I think. I think that too. And, to, and back to David's point about about don't just copy because the people you're trying to copy aren't standing still. They're moving quicker than you can. So if you spend three years trying to copy where the challenges are now, well, they'll be not only further ahead than you in three years, they'll be nine years ahead because they're moving at least to three be, times as fast. To be a fast follower, you have to be fast. Well, definitely. Uh, people always used to talk about you know Monzo being, well, is that it? But essentially, you were looking at an MVP account, something that just basically provides you with discretionary spend, you know, a, a money you can load money, a card you could load money on and go and, go and spend. But it was based on a, a microservices based modern architecture that means that actually it's, you know, it's humming along at 2% of what it could possibly deliver in the future. And I think when you start to see new things come along, or I don't know, say that there are suddenly sub-accounts that, that are, you're going to share with a variety of different people, then at some point the banks go, oh, fuck, like, w- we can do gambling blocks, we can do geolocation, like, multi-asset sub-accounts that you can share with everyone. 
no, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we're you know? out. <laughs> no, you lost us, dear. <laughs> but that's the thing. I do remember working in a big bank and people going, why are you so excited about that? It's just a prepaid card and an app. And I'm like, you've missed it. Because it's not that it's a prepaid card and it's an app. It's how it's been built. It's what it could be. And it's also uh, the mechanism they use to understand stuff. I think also in the, in the product of a lot of these new propositions is a real understanding of the customer, not lip service to the customer. And the things that are really important to the customer were not those features of the product that existed 200 years ago. The things that are important to a customer are very, very different to that. I don't know. know. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I I never really look at... um, In some instances, 100%. I never really look at Revolut and go, they really understand customers, do you? I just look at Revolut and I go, holy shit, they deliver so much stuff relentlessly. They're just just putting stuff out in the market. I think the difference is now you just actually got to be good at something. And if it's just... If it's releasing something if it's understanding customers if it's you know if it could be if it could be customer service if it could, could be creating community but whatever it is that you do you've you got to be great good at it now you got to be great at yeah. it i think i think you got to be really great at it and you can't necessarily do it by making what you've got go faster hmm. maybe you need to look at something different in the back end well well and that's the scary thing because like being good at something actually takes a lot of effort it's not about <laughs> above Damn the, it. yeah it's not about above the line spend on like you know tube campaigns and like outdoor stuff like it's actually hard graft and hard work to like go make something happen and most people don't want to do that right and it doesn't necessarily become compatible with all of your existing matrices of governance and spend and um, kind of cycles and all that kind of stuff and I think the old model of the way we'll get to new is by doing a big bang is now finally kind of broken in that we saw with TSB was the big one this year um, but there are, have been plenty of other examples around the world where somebody's taken their core banking system and gone we'll jump we'll leapfrog into the future by taking another product from another vendor that does basically the same thing and that might be uh, you know in in addition to the whole like look there are fintech challenges that now have a few million customers there's also people who've tried big digital transformation and been spanked by the regulator and also you know uh, locked customers out of their accounts for a few weeks at a time i don't think they were literally spanked by the way or th- although they may have been <laughs> i don't know like that would focus the mind <laughs> <Yeah. they? laughs> that's a good man i mean that'd be a whole lot better than just firing the ceo and giving them a fine because fines don't work can we continue down this thread and just see where we get to yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to see bring back putting CEOs in stocks, throwing tomatoes at people, and like spanking with a big like wooden paddle. Yep. this that, is why that we says did regulator on it. This is why we did an episode title called Ritual Humiliation. <laughs> this is precisely why there is an episode called Ritual but, Humiliation. But you might say that the whole uh, uh, Yolt, um, you know, metal, that all of that kind of the new big banks creating little banks also protects them from the TSB scenario. It's a better way of doing it. It's a better hedge. And it allows you to grow and learn about doing things in a different way, Mm. to grow a new architecture rather than trying to leap in one weekend. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's the thing. It's like when you do look at a metal, when you do look at a Marcus, it you know, we talk we say this all the time, but like we really need to make this sticker. Like it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it, right? So that's what you know, it gets results. Exactly. <laughs> so these these little things that are kind of now coming to fruition and coming to the the sort of public 
uh, eye are just the buds of change within major organizations, right? Um, you know, the thing that it is from a propositional perspective, in the same way as Monzo was a hot coral card and a, you know, it's prepaid thing and an app, then actually it ain't that. It, that's what was there to start with. It's everything that's been put behind the scenes, whether it comes to operational excellence, whether it's talent, whether it's culture, what, you know, whatever it is that makes all of that sustainable to make it a really healthy business. It's, you know? it's customer perception as well, because mm. I think Marcus can talk to customers in a way that Goldman Sachs probably can't. Mm. You know, that when they launched in the US, they um, made a big campaign about talking about debt and making that okay. If a big bank like Goldman Sachs does that, the initial reaction is cynicism. But when it's something that looks like a startup and sounds like a startup and talks like a startup, so I, I'm still on the I'm still on the fence a little bit with Marcus, if I'm honest with you, because actually, like, they've got incredibly large amounts of customers sort of driven to them. But basically, we're in an environment where there's like fuck all savings rates. So basically, if you would have done anything to make a good savings rate, you would have got crazy amounts. You could of have had a postal campaign to uh, yeah, to, well, they did. And they, did. The they did in the US. They did. Yes. <laughs> they yeah. did. Um, so they did a lot of classic stuff well. But I think the new stuff, like it, it, I give it a B minus, even though it's done extremely well because they used a lot of traditional techniques. But they did it with a rate. Yeah. Uh, but they also did the other thing, which is have something that was incredibly easy to sign up to and was really really thin as a minimum lovable product it did only what it needed to and brutally so and yeah. nothing else I, and like don't get like this is not me being like hipster fintech dude like i've lost, lost a bit i know so i can't, be, can't be anymore. i know i know like just, I, i'm gonna get all serious dude. next year like i've already i've already said in the office i'm wearing suits again like i've got all so Three many piece i know watch chain full craziness pinstripe um, watch chain when was that ico <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah being in a situation where actually like i think marcus is actually come out and done some really interesting things but it's playing the bank game with slightly new technology yeah, so like they've got that sort of difficult second album to come out with and we'll see what they do next year and also i suspect the budget for getting that done was um, an order of magnitude higher than it would be to do a yolt or a denizen or an asto or those sorts of things and and that's actually a part of the business case too is yes i can go fund my balance sheet by doing mm. a cheap um, savings rate but you know do i need to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions to do it because that just looks like digital transformation budget but uh, in parallel to that point around you know monzo having produced this uh, market level account but now has all of this headroom i think there's a really interesting point around the first few ventures that these banks get into they're having to reconfigure so much internally risk frameworks governance mm -hmm. management like how do you actually launch a new product and enable it in order to uh, to have new releases when traditionally it used to used to have the the release team planning a few months ahead as to what might go on so so it interests me as to like obviously with metal it's like having done so much work in the back end to make that happen mm. uh now suddenly metal two metal three metal four with a bank that's actually big and has you know a, a good amount of capital to deploy yeah. actually sort of um cleans the pipes suddenly there's there's uh, a, a, the opportunity for doing a production line mm. where a variety of fintechs might be launched i, I think this is agree. a really interesting and nuanced point that people will miss there is still a fundamental difference go Open that can. Do it. Just go it. Let, let, let people hear it. That was yeah. a beer. Yeah. Beers are happening. Uh, there's this really nuanced point between sort of 
doing Greenfield Marcus as a big bank in a big bank way and doing something different. It, doing what they did is still better, but it mm. looks a lot like um, First Direct and HSBC. Like, people have been doing that for decades. What we're saying is there is something fundamentally new about Yolt. There's something fundamentally new about Denizen and Asto and yeah. all of those types of uh, f- uh, new ten and money you by ABN. You know, there are, there's something fundamentally new here. Well, so Marcus, to me, feels like a new product. It's not a service, you know. Like actually, what you've got is a savings account. It's just got a different, slightly different rate. Like, and they've enhanced the onboarding experience, and the tone is slightly different because it's Marcus and not Goldman Sachs, and that's good. It's like a, you know, it's like a nice directional thing to kind of get them going. Um, but it's what they do with it now, because like standalone savings is is not the thing. But if this leads them to where they need to get to, then this is, you know, a great stepping stone that has actually made them a bunch of money on the way there. So do we do we think the new vendors behind the scenes have got anything to do with this shift as well? Is there something in the the thought machines, the Mambus, the Lavarises and let's say it, eleven FS Foundry, is there something there for it? Show so me baby one. So I, I don't think yet. You know, I definitely think in the Mambu sense that they're, those guys are having impact. You know, I think it's yeah. harking back to my uh, my Gartner days when I did wear my lovely suits. Then, like being in a situation where actually like core banking is fundamentally transformed is not just from a technological perspective. It's actually most bank procurement processes getting their shit together. So well, this was kind of going to be my point, right? If you want to do this, is an RFP the starting point? Um, well, an RFP tells you what you ask the vendors to tell you. So actually, if you're looking at people who have spent a bunch of money and sold a bunch of stuff, then actually you have a tendency to get the people who have spent a bunch of money and sold a bunch of stuff. But actually, <laughs> yeah. if you're looking for the you know, the scenarios where actually you're looking for technological advantage, and actually this is what we're seeing. We're not, we're not seeing really big organizations, and this is probably the best thing that we've actually seen fintech really bring to market, is we're not seeing huge organizations looking for you know, 15 years of deployment experience in 57 countries, which of well, that's 50 not you're not it's, in. It's that, it's that zero to one, isn't it? It's yeah. that threshold. It's like, actually, who, will you work with a vendor who has no live deployments? No. But now some of them are starting to get a couple. You're like, okay, that, that you're, you're over the threshold. Yeah. You know, is, is Monzo a real player until it gets to a million? Well, now it has a million. And now, okay, away mm. away we go. Now what's the excuse? You know, <laughs> now you're, a, you're NatWest, you're RBS you've never launched a new thing now you've done metal oh you're, you're over the threshold yeah. and you've gone that zero to one which opens it up so i think it's an it's a variety of those things that are happening at the same time you're seeing new players powered by new vendors because the old vendors aren't fast enough or agile enough yeah. or won't offer the flexibility that the new guys want and then those new vendors that are proving themselves with the with the new startups are then going over to sell to the big boys and so you're having a, a whole new ecosystem, I think, grow. But, but, but that ecosystem's not on the preferred supplier list. So what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> but but I think it's I think it's a the, you know the battle is playing out in all of these different slices, right? You know, you've got Monzo versus HSBC, and that's wonderful. You've got like massive core banking vendors versus thought machine and us and like you know you've got multi multi billion companies who actually have got probably more cultural problems than the the banks themselves in terms of actually being able to set these things up and it and it's a really interesting you know the 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 battlefield that we're set up with in terms of everybody that's in fs direct to consumer everything that's b2b and moving beyond it it's just fascinating and you might argue actually like that's why 11FS exists because beyond the banks and the vendors there's then professional services mm. and so do you go with the, like the big boys and that you know that standard the PSL approach? 
or do you go with the, the you know the the new approach? So uh, on a, on so many different layers, there's competition yeah. and new operating model, new business models, new approaches that are starting to coalesce. It's almost like what Monzo did for banking, where we set out to do for consulting. Oh goodness me! <laughs> <laughs> that I feel pain. I feel like we should move on to the next. Uh, point. I, I uh, just I just wish we'd just pick one layer and piss off one layer at a time. <laughs> <laughs> when everyone hates you, I know. Yeah, just just. <laughs> Just that's why I've shaved the beard once. off and took my glasses off, but nobody recognises me anymore. Hey, well, speaking kind of, of everyone hating something, what about crypto? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Let's tiptoe through crypto. Let's do this. Uh, in the year that saw crypto go drop more than 90% from its all-time high, in the year that Consensus, one of the largest consulting organisations, have announced, um, or are rumoured, sorry, to be laying off more than 50-60% of their staff, um, in a year in which 98% of ICOs are no longer active traded and in a year in which arrests have begun not been a great year i'm not gonna lie <laughs> okay that's all good well and good but like is mcafee yet his own dick yet <laughs> no um, is mcafee okay that's that's what i'm worried about uh, where are you john call me um and also we saw recently Blythe masters has even left digital asset holdings so not all as uh, well in dlt land so either. i feel like we're we're heading back to david's suit wearing days at gartner because if this because if i've ever seen a trough of despair this is it like gartner hype cycle in large it, like we have that big peak everyone was in like people were taxi drivers were asking about whether they should be buying bitcoin oh uh, yeah that doesn't happen so much now I, do you know the, the amount of people who are on my LinkedIn asking me advice, asking me to advise an ICO is now zero per week. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> That's a few less messengers. Like the thing that, uh, and I, I remember having this conversation a lot when I was at Gartner, is uh, not everybody gets out of the trough. Like, and actually that's the sort of realization that this isn't a, like a methodology you get to the end of and it's all wonderful. Like people don't get up the other end of this thing. So like, do we really, do we think you got to hodl. you got to believe, David. You like, believe. just like, yeah, what, like you're homeless and you just, <laughs> you're warming yourself from your Bitcoin, you know, like. Uh, so my only thing here is, do I believe that, uh, crypto cryptography developers in the open source will stop spending their time doing this stuff in parents basements or wherever it comes because if you believe that they will just down their tools think ah this cryptography is bollocks i'm just going to jack it all in for the whole planet then in that scenario crypto goes to absolute zero Otherwise, there's something there. Now, whether or not that something is the revolution of financial markets and getting rid of central banks, eh, I've never really been convinced on that one. Whether that's even remaking financial markets in the next 10 years, I'm not really convinced on that one either. Is it like, uh, so Vitalik Buterin on episode, I believe, 76 of Blockchain Insider, which is available on iTunes now. <laughs> wow, he's getting really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talks about... Uh, cryptography upgraded and i like that finally a sensible narrative which is the old, the great thing about cryptography is i could hash something and you would be confident that from that hash from that signature or, or hash even I would be confident in the state of that data and that it was you sending yeah, it. Yeah, and that was always the promise. Look, it, it wasn't about uh, making massive returns on Bitcoin or Ether. It was the fact that you, me, David, and you know everyone in the world uh, could theoretically have uh, a copy of some data that we knew was in sync with everyone else. And all of the expense around uh, reconciliation and making sure that, are we right? Like, you sent me this message. Did I receive it? Did you send it? Oh, does my ledger say what your ledger says? Like, that's 
beautiful and has some real use cases. Will it kill cancer? It's really not going to. Well, is so it going to, you know, feed Africa? No, it's not uh, going it to. Probably not. But the other th- thing did of we, that is... Did we just get carried away then? Is that, is that what so. it is? Because, like, like, if you're trying to tell me, like, the answer is cryptography, it's been around for, like, 2,000 years. Like. Yeah, it's been around for a little while. And every now and then somebody goes, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and basically that's what's happened. Somebody's going, oh, that's a good idea. So it was more of a, like, a complete cycle then. Like, it's yeah. come... It's, like flares are going to come back into fashion at well, some point. It, it was the fact that it was a uh, an asset, a currency, a religion, a technology, mm-hmm. a cult. Uh, it was so many different things. And it was always interesting. I, I'm sure you guys had the same thing. You'd go and give a speech and someone would sidle up to you afterwards and start talking to you about crypto. And very quickly you had to work out whether they were in the cult, the technology set, or they were <laughs> yeah, like, looking well, for how do I talk to invest. To you? <laughs> <laughs> and so the interesting one I've had lately is, does my core banking system need blockchain? Does it need smart contracts? Well, recently. And, have, they, have you heard that recently? I've, I've heard that a lot recently recently and i'm like but why like as a technology to sync lots of systems together from independent actors it makes sense but in the middle of a high performance system it makes zero sense especially when it's so early and that was the thing about the vitalik interview is he was very sober about the fact that look this stuff is early it's experimental there's a long way to go but he's excited by it because the really interesting thing about cryptography is i could tell you a thing was true but i couldn't tell you that thing is no longer true so i could say uh, here's here's my certificate that says I have a driver's license. But if I got disqualified by the DVLE, uh, they would have to send me a separate message that says that's no longer true. We wouldn't have somewhere that we could just quickly check that we all agree yeah, that that's true. Yeah, and now it's true. like the Dave Birch territory. The you know it's not about the one thing you carry around, but being able to prove something. You you don't need to see my driving license. You just need to know whether I'm allowed to drive. You yeah. don't need to know my age. You just need to know am I over eighteen? And yeah. Therefore, can I drink? But and so can so, we prove? Stuff off easily without a lot of work but but like like no shit vitalik's like happy about it like how much ether do you think he sold like do you think he does he care now like do you know, he, he's do essentially you know, I, like, I think for him it's never been about the money uh listen to the it interview. can't it can't hurt though right like well, he, I mean, he's <laughs> tim berners lee but actually made a lot of money like so now he's like just sit back and see what happens and you know he sold enough of it to make a bunch of money he's kept enough of it to make a bunch of money if it works he's out he's not even gone Mark Zuckerberg weird Silicon Valley geek he's just like hold he, on we're talking yeah. about Vitalik, Vitalik <laughs> oh, the guy's the guy's a heck of a nerd um, and I mean that with love but he's he's not gone into that like he's I only not, wear one colour of t-shirts well that's or, the thing yeah he's definitely well the, he's still wearing funky t-shirts but they are funky t-shirts they're aren't they fun, they're cats and unicorns and all he's got a sense stuff. of humour bless him sure. so is he going to make it out of the hype cycle that's the question well, out of the trough I think it's going to change shape right we're going to start talking about cryptography upgraded a lot more and I think we're also going to start uh, really talking about how do we represent assets differently that are currently traded in paper and it comes back to digitised versus digital in capital markets we still have a lot of paper processes that we've digitized if you look at the um, dematerialization of assets in the 1970s that was digitizing a paper process this is an opportunity to rethink that uh, with a new type of cryptography and that's kind of cool that could even have some um, incredible impact in the world of financial markets but not yet yeah, I, 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 honest, I honestly yeah. feel... I honestly you say feel, yeah, but I hear no. no I, 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 I honestly, honestly, I completely agree with you. But it's like, I think everybody... It's like everybody getting so hyped about what could be on Mars. Like, yeah. And actually, if it feels like we've had like a massive um, realisation in the industry that we've actually got B 
biggest shit to sort out. Completely. And, and I'm so with you on that. This is why, like, as a founder of 11FS, I'm not banging the drum internally all the time going, we're not looking at blockchain enough. I'm going, you yeah, know, this is this is right. This but, is but it will come back. I yes. think that's the thing. And actually, similar to, like, all of the Ferrari that we saw around AI, it's like, um, you know, banks, banks have been trying to be sort of going like, okay, like, machine learning is a massive thing and we, we're going to do that exclusively over anything else. And like I've started to hear people go about like what my quantum computing strategy is. And I'm like, <laughs> like, like guys, like, yeah, like maybe so. Sort- the new thing to talk yeah. about? And it's kind of like, nah, uh, like go for the thing that's got the evidence. And I think, you know, five years ago it was the, um, oh, my kid just got an iPhone. Now it's the, my kid just got a pink card. Uh, sorry, hot coral. Um, and then <laughs> Well, it's, it's just not trying to put an icing on a cake you don't have. Like, you know, Oh, Bake the cake. Deep. I'll tell you that. that yeah, was lovely. I'm. I'm now getting hungry. I'm hungry for the next story. Although I have, it's not even a story. I have it's eaten a theme. icing without a cake. It's. It's. Wow. I don't know what you said. Say that again. I have eaten icing without a cake. Next theme. <laughs> <laughs> Admission. <laughs> we love you, girl. We love you so hard. Um, it's all about the hacks that have been happening. Um, and I think the biggest one was the uh, Indian National Identity Scheme. Aadhaar got hacked um, with a possible risk surface of 1.1 billion people. But we saw Starwood Hotels at over 300 million, MyFitnessPal at 150 million. Like the hacks have been big on the personal data side. The risk is abound, gentlemen. Um, can we trust anybody with our data anymore? No. Definitely not. Next, I don't think we ever point. could. Uh, no, I, I don't think we ever could, but I think definitely like this year, it's 100% been brought in. Uh, Here are the consequences. Yeah. Like, Look, focus I mean, on that now. When Facebook and Google get hacked, you know, in this year, like Google was uh, 52 and a half million uh, people private information on google plus profiles including name employer job title email address birthday age relationships google plus status. like it's, it's i know about, cambridge analytica 87 million facebook profiles data in, in do you remember you know, google when plus? when those kind of that level of tech, technically able companies get hacked mm. Like, it's just everyone. Yeah. Like, everyone and everything is basically uh, open. <laughs> and on that happy note, uh, <laughs> enjoy your crypt now. Uh, and so that's not the only thing that's been happening. We did see, of course, Danske Bank this year um, were called out for uh, the laundering of nearly 200 billion euros um, through their Lithuanian branch. Uh, wow. Money laundering scandals have not gone away. And again, talk about digitizing a paper process. How banks still do KYC and AML at the corporate scale is the ultimate digitized paper process. Well, it's not even digitized in most cases. But it's, it's interesting this, because on one hand, look, you've got all of the data hacks. On the other hand, you've got all of the regulators pointing at the bank saying, you've got to police the entire, like, the global financial system. Yeah. And we're expecting a much higher level of performance from you because look at all the data you can get and look at all the things that you can, uh, you know, you can run. Yes, but they used to police the banks by saying, show me your process and demonstrate that you have a process in place. Now, I think what's changed is um, the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, have flipped from show me your process to prove that your process is effective. And I think that's a mindset shift that's really going to change. Like if you work in a risk team, that's coming and it's coming hard, especially with the EU um, fifth anti-money laundering directive filtering through um, and those rules coming from FATF being pushed down on a lot of countries. But so that 200 billion, I mean, like pause on that. That's a lot of money, 200 billion euros. It's a bit, isn't it? 
Well, so I could buy four <laughs> WeWork companies. Yeah, but so I mean, it's like ten times the size of Estonia's economy that got laundered through Danske Bank in Estonia. That's insane. And actually, yeah, I, you would have you would have thought they would have thought. Someone noticed. Yeah, yeah. It's someone like, would guys, have gone, like, we're taking a piss a little bit. <laughs> um, so what's what's interesting is <laughs> it's a typical thing in it. You do it once, you get carried away. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, five times the GDP of the country. It's, yeah. so, it's like somebody washed the uh, Pacific Ocean through the Suez Canal. Yeah. It's like, hang on. <laughs> But so, but they've they've arrested like ten former employees now. I don't even know how sophisticated this was. I think it was just people on the inside well, so allow, the, enabling this to happen. If you go look at the processes for preventing money laundering, you get from um, KYC and AML, then you get customer due diligence, CDD, and then you get this thing called enhanced due diligence. Ooh. Yeah, now enhanced due diligence. You've been me, through the training, I can tell. Oh, my God. That, that CBT, you were like all over That computer-based training, <laughs> I was it all sounds like you know almost too much about that. <laughs> Have you been spending check, much time David, in Estonia lately? Or, uh... I, I don't know where he's going, but I feel like like enhanced due diligence I know where as good going. as it sounds it's jail it's, where he's going. <laughs> it's not as good as it sounds because uh, it involves things like adverse media screening have they been in the press and said a naughty thing uh, politically exposed persons like is this person exposed to, to somebody who could be corrupt um, anti-bribery and corruption um, but my, my personal favourite is the source of funds check and a source of funds check typically involves a piece of paper and asking you where did you get those funds and you go won it in gambling and they go aha you have filled in the form that's very good on you go and like that's just got to change as a, as a set of processes right, here's hoping we do when people move towards effectiveness and they have something to, on blockchain maybe yeah mm. we've got to agree that there they did indeed win it at gambling um, and they'd be able to prove that they won it at gambling but this was my point earlier about GDPR I feel like this has just been happening but now the penalties for not telling the appropriate authorities are so high that we just know about it and Nothing else has so, really changed. The, well, we've seen really, 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 really big fines for not getting your AML controls right in the tens of billions, and yet this is still happening. And I think it's not that people are trying to follow a process that's the issue. It's that people are not doing them well. They're not rethinking them. It's like, I've demonstrated I've followed a shitty process. It's not good enough anymore. But, <laughs> but they've also got, you know, Deborah, who works down the bank, who's standing, sitting there. I thought like, that was an acronym. I didn't know. <laughs> like, who, hey, Debbie. <laughs> who's like, hey, Debbie, just come to pay a check-in. And on the other side of the counter, you've got the most sophisticated money launderer, you know, in the world, who, who if they're money laundering 200 billion, they're going to be pretty good at what they do. And they're going to be like, like, I don't know, crazy degrees, crazy training, you know, teams of people. Deborah is going to struggle, honestly, when it, when it comes to, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good name, like, uh, for the money launderer. That's one for you to email jason at 11 fscom Good hands. names from... Hans. Wow. Die hard. Well, Hans Gruber is going is to take, take Deborah. Yeah. It is the season for Hans Gruber. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Um, the last theme of the year, of course, has been fun branding, meowing cards, and much more. What's been your favorite part of the year, David? Um, I like there's so many to be honest with you like we, we've gone some really fun places and, and chatted to some really entertaining people like ZeroCon for me was probably one of the highlights if I'm honest with you like just getting 5,000 accountants together and actually having a good laugh was like you know you don't think that's going to happen but it was hella entertaining accountants so, know how to party I know they really do I, I'm, I think we should let that hang I didn't know that was a thing 
what accountancy is having a, an, a, a, a like a, a good time it's a borderline rave you should see the lighting yeah no it really was like it was like it was the funnest party i think i've been to this entirety this year like it feels this is starting to feel like a zero ad like we should move on <laughs> i'm getting a lot of sincerity from that side of the table what about um op they had a slush party yeah, that was fun as well. Like, like generally, like this feels like it. Like this section's turning into a parties David's gone to. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, the OP one over in Helsinki was equally entertaining. I have to say, like to honestly, like my my highlight of the year definitely is probably the weird looks that I've had over the last twenty four hours, having shaved off my beard for charity. So uh, like, I kind of feel like I've done a thing that both makes me feel terrible about myself, but also really good about myself. I've, I've like... got a question for you on that. On, is it starting to get old every time you walk into the office? Someone goes. Excuse me, sir, can I help you? I must have had it 26, 27 <laughs> times in the last sort of six of working hours, really. So Still yeah. funny or no? Not so much. No, so. It's, it's losing its appeal. So for me, 2018 just feels like it's been crazy long. It's one of those where it just seems to have flashed by mm. and just seems to have, have lasted forever. Yeah. Um, but the fact that, you know, we worked on, on the launch of Metal and that that's came to fruition, the fact we've been over to Hong Kong and worked with Standard Charts on their thing, uh, worked with a, like a vast number of clients, uh, been over to the US, I think we've been in 20 countries or something this year, working with different people on, on making those, those digital services. Uh, and it's been fun. I mean, the what the organisation's grown from. How big were we last year? Now we're hundred and thirty-eight people now. There you go. So oh, look at us grow. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like you know what I want to do. I want to get us to stand next to the wall and mark it <laughs> yeah. in a permanent marker how tall we are this year. I think school photo at the beginning of the school year. It, building on that, there's been some really nice milestones this year, like the LinkedIn top 25 startups, you know, announcing I Metal, about that. Yeah. announcing Foundry. It's been a yeah, really good Foundry. year for 11FS. Jeez, I went straight to what were the parties I enjoyed, and you you made it all serious. So that was lot. good, yeah. We launched lot, 11 FC. And oh yeah, that. now we have a football team. Like everything is right in the world. I like I I do agree with what Jason said though. It's like. Actually, well, now you do. I, I won't. No, but, no, but <laughs> Tell us just, about those parties you've been to, no, David. Well, it's, it's less about the stuff we've done. It's just more the overriding feeling like we've done a lot of stuff. I think everybody's in a situation where it's like been a long year. I think I've never probably had a year where Christmas has come at the perfect time. Usually there's like a billion things that we need to do. Now I'm like, actually, I'm both terribly tired, but also incredibly excited about what happens next year. I, I think there, there is a trend there's that similar feeling across the industry. I mean, there's never been a better time to work in retail banking or in finance, in fintech, in the last, what, 100 years. Mm. You know, now is the time when things are changing and people can make a real impact, either mm. in the large organisations or in, in small startups. And it's like, it's lit that fire, I think. Yeah. Banking used to be that scene from Mary Poppins with the bankers. And I think it has now changed a bit. Uh, I do think there's a, uh, a bit like the big tech companies have gone through the tech backlash. I think we've got to be mindful of not celebrating tech is the answer to everything and we've also got to bear in mind that you know people's money and livelihoods are on the line and there's a very serious thing banking did for many many years but at the same time the opportunity that you, money touches everything and if you can change how finance works you can change the world I think I think the great thing is I think we've gone beyond that and I think that's what scares many of like the traditional companies is we've gone through the like you know the buzzword of like AI or blockchain or like mm -hmm. machine learning or whatever and what's the realization now is that smart people are the answer 
and that's wonderful. You know, because actually, what's happening there is you're you're moving into the the, the I period. I feel like you should have to go through a course to learn this. Like, <laughs> should, I should have had to pay a thousand dollars for a class, and yeah. like, smart people are the answer. You just no, give I it away on a podcast. I think you're, you're spot on because we're moving from a very mature market where look we know how all this works just sit there and do your job be that cog because the machine works hmm. is a big thing yeah. we're printing money I'm cranking this handle you keep cranking your handle we'll all be good maybe you get to crank my handle at one. Oh, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Oh, easy. easy I know it's Christmas <laughs> wow Deborah. Yeah. no so um, but it's, now kids we're now getting to that point where uh, where things are changing and suddenly it's not that sort of big massive machine with you know everyone like uh, stay doing what mm. you uh, what you need to do we're having to work out how this new thing works and that means that all of a sudden you don't it, it's not about organizing vast swathes of people in in order to to all be coordinated together it's about working out new things and suddenly like talent becomes a thing rather yeah. than a just shut up and do your job because you might be talented but I just need you to, to fill in the form. Yeah. There was a real cultural thing in large organisations before about don't overstep your boundary, you've got to give one person that job and you can't do their thing and they can't do your thing and it all got very political. The opposite is true in, in the, the tech world. You've got to kind of fill in the gaps and play in the spaces and like talent will really enjoy that and I have no doubt whatsoever and I've seen it many with the clients we work with and the places I've worked, there's a massive amount of talent that wants to work this way inside the organisations, the large organisations and the small ones. 2019 year of talent to tell you I, I think you I think the last thing the last thing I should say that I really enjoyed was I think it was about this time last year that I very drunkenly shouted very loudly at an after dark that if it was the last thing that I did I would get Will I Am on the podcast and I think I stand vindicated on that one. Yeah, the, the lesson learned, people. Do not challenge the Bria to do a thing. So, it, it, so what's for next year? Are oh, you getting on next year? Well, I'm, I'm coming for you, Snoop Dogg. This is going to happen. <laughs> Some cannabis-related fintech thing. I, I don't yeah, care at that point. Yeah, he has in Robin Hood. Um, I'm just putting that out there. Paris Hilton did a thing. I, she did, okay. yes. Paris Hilton and Snoop Dogg on the same podcast. Well, do, I figure that's 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 what we should aim for. I, I think the prediction that we should almost make is like, which person who endorsed an ICO is definitely going to go to jail in 2019? Oh, well, DJ Khaled and uh, Floyd Mayweather already got fined. Oh, really? They, they already got fined, wow. which is probably my favorite moment of the year. That and when a rat chewed $18,000 in an ATM and then died. Wow. <laughs> what a way to go. You know, like, it is. Goodbye, cruel world. He just <laughs> gorged himself on money. That is. That's the ultimate party, isn't it? I think he just had itchy teeth. Um, <laughs> and on that note, and on that note, that wraps up all of 2018. We hope you've had a great year. Let us know what you think of your year. Let us know your favourite moments. Email me, Simon at 11FS.com. And while you're there, uh, whilst you're thinking about getting in touch with us, why not find us on f- at Fintech Insiders? Um, and remember to subscribe to the podcast because you might hear Jason say silly things. <laughs> <laughs> and give us a review on iTunes, please. It. it uh, really makes our day yeah maybe those. like a, a fun summary of this episode with deborah and cranking ha- my handle cranking handles <laughs> all of these things and more you get hashtag cranking handles <laughs> hashtag jason's been cranking his handle again yeah okay <laughs> thanks very much this is the end of fintech insiders <laughs> have a fantastic christmas and new year thanks for listening and goodbye